going to get into the Word today. I'm going to have you open up to Philippians chapter 2. It'll be on the screen. It's also in your bulletin. We have a scripture sheet in the bulletin as well for you to read along and or take notes if you, if you so choose, which we would ask that you would only for your sake. That's part of our wisdom, right? To take our notes, to take it home, to get into it, to be like uh, the Bereans in Acts 17 that goes and, and checks everything said here against the Word of God because that's what I'm asking of you guys. You don't trust in Cameron's words, you trust in the words of Jesus Christ. And if there's anything that I say that all of a sudden a big, huge red question mark goes off in your head, then you take your notes home and you, or you come and talk to me and you look in the Word of God and we can do that together. Philippians chapter 2, we're going to read verses 1 through 11 and then we'll get into the Word. And so just to kind of a, a reminder, a note, what we do is we read the Word of God, we then sit in silence with the Word, and we allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us. So we're going to spend about one or two minutes just in silence, and that's your opportunity to reread the passage, to maybe jot some notes down, write some uh, words down, highlight some things in, in your Bible and your notes that the Lord really spoke to you as we read through this passage of Scripture. Okay? Philippians chapter 2, 1 through 11. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not only look to his own interests, but also the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Verse 9. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. So take one or two minutes now, and if you want to reread that, take some notes, jot some things down, then, then please do so. Okay, so again, in wisdom is our, one of our values. We seek to understand and know God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit through the reading and understanding of His Word. That we have, and that's why we dedicate time to just sit in silence with God's Word, because, again, if all else fails, you walk away with the Word of God, hopefully deep, settled into your heart. But this morning, as we get into this next value, in humility, we sacrifice our lives for the sake of the least, the last, and the lost. Now, I love that verbiage, because it really explains not just those who were trying to reach in Lake Elsinore and the surrounding community, but it explains who we are. That we ourselves are the least. We're the last and we're the lost. The people that we, we search uh, and seek out outside of the community are the least, the last, and the lost. We're all in the same position under God's authority that we need more of Him. We need to be filled up by Him. And maybe some of us that are maybe a little bit further down the road as far as our understanding of who God is, then we know exactly what direction that we're going and we can just help those come along with us. 
But one of the things that we need in order to do so, in order to look out to find the least, the last, and the lost, is this concept of humility. And if there is one verse that just speaks loud and clear to me on this idea, it's Mark chapter 10, verse 45. You can also find it in Matthew chapter 20, verse 28. Same words. But Mark 10, 45 says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Again, the Son of Man, Jesus, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Two words that come out from that scripture. It's service and sacrifice. Everything about Jesus Christ was service and sacrifice. And if Jesus is to be our example then everything that we are, everything that we attain to be, to be like, is Him. He is our vision. He is our purpose. He is the prime, perfect, ultimate example of what humility is. And that's how we need to live our life, in service and in sacrifice. So let's look at the scripture we read this morning in Philippians chapter 2. So starting back in verse 1, it said, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy. It starts out by saying, if there is. Now we'll, we'll come back to that, but you can add that, those three words before each one of these things that's mentioned. So if there is any encouragement in Christ. You guys know what encouragement is, yes? You to put courage into somebody else. In goes the courage, right? That's what it means. It's providing support, confidence, and hope for anybody that needs it. And Jesus was that example. Everything that he did, every person he came in contact with, it was support, confidence, hope, encouragement. He taught it in his ministry. He lived it throughout his ministry. Next it says, if there is any comfort from love, God is, Jesus is, love. He is the God of all comfort. We read that in 2 Corinthians 1.3. He is the God of all comfort who comforts us in our affliction so that we can then comfort those who are going through any affliction on their own. Because we've been comforted by God, we can comfort others. Does that make sense? If there is any participation in the Spirit, any fellowship in the Spirit is what that's saying. We talked about that before, too, that his indwelling presence should cause us to keep in step with the Spirit. That's Galatians 5.25. If the Spirit is in you, keep in step with the Spirit. Live out those fruits of the Spirit. And I know we can all say them again. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and on and on and on, right? That's keeping in step with the Spirit, having fellowship with him. If there is any affection and sympathy, these are traits of Jesus. Therefore, they should be traits of Say it, church. Us, right? If Jesus had encouragement and gave encouragement, if Jesus is love and gave love, if Jesus participated in the Spirit and had fellowship with the Spirit, if Jesus provided affection and sympathy, then that's who we should be as well. So that's where we need to start in this understanding of this concept of humility, is looking at our example in Jesus Christ and taking those traits on and living out those characteristics of who Jesus is to the world around us. So the question before us today is, are we practicing these traits? Just because you're a Christian doesn't mean you automatically will live in love and affection and sympathy and provide encouragement, does it? 
because we're also sinners. Praise God, saved by grace, but we need to practice these traits. So there is some work involved on our part to keep that in mind as we move forward. Going on to verse 2, it says, Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord, and of one mind. What do we read in this, this verse? Unity. That as we take on these characteristics and traits of Jesus Christ, that should bond us and bind us together in Jesus to live unified in our purpose in what he calls us to do. Does that make sense? We need to be unified. That if these character traits of Jesus are in all of us, then that binds us together so that we can move forward in faith with one purpose, which is to bring Jesus Christ to the community around us. Verse 3, here's where it gets down to brass tacks, as they say. Where the rubber meets the road, or whatever other phrase you want to add to it. Verse 3 says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Should we sit on that for a little while? Anybody else hit hard by that little phrase right there? Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. This is so hard. Let's admit it. Just go ahead and say, yes, this is hard. This is difficult. Because we so often just want to live our life by looking in the mirror. It's all about me. I just want to see me. How is this going to affect me? My job, my work, my money, my family, my routine, my time. My, 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 me, me, me. Does that make sense? We live that way sometimes. Rather than look in the mirror, we should maybe seek to look out the window. See others in front of us. But again, I take us back to verse 1. If we are practicing those Christ-like characteristics, in verse 2, if we are unified in the purpose of how we're to live our life, then verse 3 should come very easy. If we practice those characteristics and we're unified in our purpose, then how we view others should come fairly easy. Again, should come fairly easy. But it's something we have to work at. Something we have to strive for. But the key word in this verse is what we're talking about this morning, humility. Counting others more significant doesn't mean we perpetually live in last place. Or we live perpetually as if we've been picked last all the time. You might know that feeling if you've been picked last before. Or if you're always coming in last place, you constantly live kind of this lifestyle of, woe is me, right? That's not what humility is. Humility doesn't mean you completely forget who you are. You're not worthless. You're not pointless. And if you were with us last week, you remember our conversation about value. That if you see yourself as Christ sees you, you have so much value that he paid the ultimate price for you and your life to live in him. You are of so much value and worth to Jesus. So living in humility doesn't mean you disregard that. It means you live in that value, you live in that worth, but you're seeing others as going, hey, you're of value too. So I'm going to set myself aside and try and bring you along, bring you up, lift you up so that you can see the worth in yourself. And that takes us just setting our own time aside, our own purpose aside, our own wants and desires aside and say, you're of value too. 
And I want you to experience the worth and value you have in Jesus. So come along with me. Let me show you what that means. Our value does not diminish as we count others more significant. We just have to be willing to look beyond ourselves. And some of us, it takes just, just look beyond your nose. Just step by step, little by little, look further and further down the road. Romans chapter 12, verse 10 speaks to this. It says, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Anybody have a competitive spirit? Not a single person is raising your hand. Okay, there you go. Yeah, it's okay to participate here. If you have a competitive spirit, then this is for you. It says, outdo one another. This is a competition. Oh, you think you can love me more? Well, watch this. Oh, you think you can encourage me like that? Well, let me see. Let me show you up here. Let me show you how much I can encourage you. You can see how much fun that could be. It might get a little awkward at some point, but that's what, that's what we're saying here. Outdo one another in showing affection and love. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5, it says, Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. Picture that. Clothe yourself with humility. What does that mean? For us as human beings and our limitation, it's not naturally something that's a part of us. Are you catching that? So we have to therefore clothe ourselves. We have to put on humility. We have to wrap ourselves up in humility and use that as our identity as we move forward in service and sacrifice for those around us. So there's something that we have to do. Humility is not automatic in your life. It's not automatic. And if you've gotten to the point where you're a little more further down the road with this concept of living a humble life, then, then good, you've been practicing it for a while. But it didn't come naturally. It's a guarantee. We have to work at this. I want you to consider the story of Jesus washing his disciples' feet. We find that if you want to take a note in John 13, two verses, verses 4 and 5, if you want to write that down. It's not going to be up on the screen, but... When Jesus washed his disciples' feet, this is the idea. And I want you to listen to these words. Again, John 13, 4 and 5. Jesus laid aside his outer garments. And taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Now I want to bring us back. What did we just get done reading? that we have to clothe ourselves in humility. And humility is what it takes for us to move forward to serve other people. So here's Jesus removing his outer garment, removing anything that might get in the way, removing anything that might be a distraction. And for us, that could be pride, that could be sin, that could be a self-seeking attitude. And we lay that aside and we tie humility around our waist because we're getting ready to do something that is beyond us. Are you seeing the picture here? Yes. It's a beautiful picture of Jesus serving the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the God of everything, tying humility around his waist, getting on his knees, and washing the feet of the disciples that were following him. What a picture of humility. 
Again, it was something he intentionally put on because he was going to use it. It was something we need to intentionally put on and carry with us because we're going to use it. Verse 4, let's move on. It says, Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. This is how we relate to one another. Verse 3 was how we view other people. Okay, count them more significant. But now verse 4 is saying, don't look to your own interests, but also the interests of others. This is how we relate to other people. Now I want you to catch this, because this ties into what we just talked about a little bit ago. It says, let each of you look not only to his own interests. You catch that? What it's saying is, it doesn't mean you completely deny yourself. Again, you're not living in last place. You're not living last picked. You are significant. So we have to look after ourselves. We have to take care of our relationship with God. We have to read the Bible. We have to go to church. We have to do the things that he wants us to do. So therefore, we have to look after ourselves, but not only ourselves, but also the interests of others. We need to take care of one another. But again, you'll only do this if you carry and practice the characteristics from verse 1, and you're clothing yourself in humility that we just talked about. It's the only way that you're going to live this out and view others as more significant than your own and take care of others' interests along with your own. Are you following me? Just making sense? All right. Now, here's what it comes down to. All that to say, we get into the heart of this passage of Scripture, verses 5 through 7. And I want to read it again because it's so important to understand what's being said here. Verse 5 says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. What we see is Jesus in the form of God he had it all. He had everything. And yet, what did he do? He humbled himself. Now, we need to take note. He did not fully surrender his deity. Some people will believe that he completely trashed his deity and completely only became 100% man. That is not what happened. Not what happened. He temporarily set the fullness of his deity aside for a moment to humble himself to come down, to take on the form of man, being found in the form of a servant, to live and dwell amongst us. Why? Everything that he had, he had it all. Heavenly glory, crown, everything. And yet he released that because he saw us as deserving of worth and value. He had omniscience. He's all-knowing. But he didn't surrender it, but he proved that in his ministry. We're told in John 18, verse 4, that, that Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, this was just prior to his arrest and crucifixion, knowing all that was about to happen to him. He was all-knowing. 
And yet he released that a little bit for our sake. He was omnipotent. He was all-powerful. Again, proven in his life that he didn't completely set aside his deity. The miracles that he worked proved his power. Proved what he could do. But we also read in Scripture that he found fatigue in the ministry. We read that he was tired. If he's all-powerful, why would he be tired? Why would he need sleep? Why would he need to eat? Why would he need water? Why would he need rest? So we're seeing the, the fullness of who he was in, in, in God, in his deity, but also the fullness of man. His omnipresence, the fact that he was everywhere, could be everywhere. Again, proven by, in his ministry by, by never being seen in more than one place at a time. But notice how he never avoided the journey. Could he have? Yeah. What was his mode of transportation in this day, in his day? His feet, they walked everywhere. But he didn't avoid that. He could have, oh, I'll be there. Oh, I'll be there. Could have done that very easily. But he didn't. He didn't avoid the journey. Can I say that again for our sake? He didn't avoid the journey. That journey took time. And it, it expensed his, his strength. He needed rest. And that's a word for us. We can't avoid what God wants us to do. It might take time. It's going to be taxing. It's going to be tiring if we live in the full ministry and purpose of what he wants us to do. Can you see how he released his full power and knowledge? Not all of it, but he just released it so that we could then identify in our human limitations with our God. Had Jesus revealed the full extent of his deity while in human form, we would have no true example to follow because of our limitations. Had he fully revealed his deity, fully revealed his power, fully revealed his knowledge, it wouldn't be clear for us we wouldn't see him as a man of someone that we could model and example our life after. But he did that for us. He did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He, again, he already had it. It wasn't something he was trying to attain. He already had it. But he willingly released it. Not surrendered, but released it. For the sake of our salvation. Can I say it again? And it's up on the screen. Mark 10, 45. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He set aside his crown, his throne, his heavenly glory. He removed his outer garments. He tied the towel around his waist. And in humility, he came to serve. That's an amazing picture of humility. Jesus is humility. The ultimate act of service, the ultimate act of sacrifice, all for you and all for me. It's an amazing picture. In verse 8 we read, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. The humility that Jesus expressed was in complete submission to his Father's will. 
In Jesus' prayer prior to his arrest and crucifixion, we read in Matthew 26 that he says, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass. Nevertheless, not as I will, but your will. Not as I will, but your will. Again, the all-powerful, all-knowing, omnipresent God in his humility looked at his Father and said, not as I will, but your will be done. He knew fully what he was about to go through. He knew the full extent of the torturous, painful death that he was about to experience. And in his, all his power, all his knowledge, and all his glory, he could have easily said, nah, I'm good, we'll find another way. Could have just snapped his fingers, and it could have been done. Didn't have to go through it, but he did. But he did. Did he have the power to overtake his oppressors? Yes, he did. Did he have the knowledge to know what he was going to endure and recuse himself of that sacrifice? Yeah, but he didn't. Even on the cross in Luke 23, we see Jesus thinking about other people in the moment of the most excruciating, torturous pain and style of death that anybody could ever experience, he speaks the words, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Can you imagine that humility? That he is more concerned about those people and what they're doing than what he's going through. Through his own pain, through his own hurt, through his own sacrifice, he's more concerned about other people. That's the vision of humility that we're getting. I want to read the rest of this portion of, of while Jesus is on the cross, because again, it speaks volumes to what we're talking about in regards to humility. In Luke 23, it says, And they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by watching, but the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself. If he is the Christ of God, his chosen one, so here the people are mocking him, knowing his power, knowing what he claimed, and they're looking at him and saying, you're so powerful, you're the son of God, save yourself, prove it. Could he have done so? Absolutely. Could he have just glided down from the cross in full glory and squished them? Yes, of course he could have, but that wasn't the point. The point was not to prove what he could do. The point was not to prove who he was or to prove his power or to prove anything about himself for himself. It was all for other people. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, again, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged railed against him, saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. So here this criminal next to him being crucified says, hey, save yourself. Come on, big guy. But hey, save us too. <laughs> it's all about him. But he didn't do it. And the other one next to him in humility rebukes him and says, do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? 
And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward for our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And so the other criminal looks at Jesus, and he says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus, in all grace, says, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. The extent of our humility and submission to God should have no limitation, no boundaries, no condition. Okay, so what does all this mean? <laughs> what does it mean for us? How do we live this out? Why is humility one of our pillars as a church? Again, if Christ's example for us to follow is complete, humble submission, obedience, service, and sacrifice, and that's what we try and live out, what are we going to battle in this world? What some would say is the opposite of humility, which is pride. Pride is what we're going to battle. Pride calls us to self-exaltation. Pride says it's all about me. Live the me-centric life. The me-first attitude. This is what we read in 1 John chapter 2, 15 and 16. Makes it very clear what the world wants to offer us. And this is up on the screen. It says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now listen carefully. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, simply meaning what you want to do. It goes on to say, in the desires of the eyes, what you want to have. And the pride of life, what you want for your own glory. That is everything the world throws at us. Get what you can. Take what you can. Make it all about you. But all that is not from the Father, but is from the world. If you're focused on you, you will never put yourself in a position to serve others. Plain and simple. Because all you see is you. If you're more concerned about your time, your talent, your treasure, than using them to glorify God and serve others, you're not in a position of sacrifice. We need to flip that around and see the worth and the value of others, regardless of their situation, regardless of our time, and see the worth that Jesus sees in them. So here's a few practical things. And again, this is, I'm going to read from a list of something I found from Jeremy Taylor, who lived in the mid-1600s. He wrote a book called The Grace of Humility. And these are just kind of line-item practical tips for us. Yes, written in the 1650s, but very applicable to 2019. Trust me. And if you like this list, again, email me. I'll send it to you. You can post it on your mirror. So you look at it and read it before you go out for your day. <laughs> Number one says, do not think better of yourself because of any out, oh, excuse me, outward circumstance that happens to you. You know, we, we, things happen or we do good things and kind of get this little attitude like, well done, me. Or other people saying, giving you praise and giving you glory, saying, well done, that was awesome. What's the, what, what starts to come into your mind? Say it. Pride. Receiving glory is good, but it starts to dwell, we start to dwell on the pride. 
Number two, do not criticize yourself. Don't wear ragged clothes and don't walk around submissively wherever you go. We talked about that, right? Don't live in last place. Don't live last picked. Have a proper understanding of who you are. It's okay that you are valued, you are loved, and you are beautiful according to Jesus Christ. Live that way. That's okay. Number three, do good things in secret. This is a tough one in today's world. In the 1650s, they didn't have Facebook. They didn't have Instagram. They didn't have YouTube where you showed off everything that you did, everything you achieve. It's hard in today's world because we want to we show people what we're doing. And that, there's good in that. But we also can justify it by saying, look what we did as a church. Here I am posting pictures after our city serve yesterday. But look at everything that we were able to do. But we've got to be careful because what can that do in our mind? It can puff us up. But we justify in our humility and our service and our sacrifice. Don't forget, there can be pride in humility. Look how humble we are. We got to be careful. We get that mentality that I'm so humble. And look at everything I've done, how I've blessed other people. We got to be careful. Number four, really quick. Do not let praise for yourself be the design of your conversation. We say things and we we share stories with others and we kind of take that pause like, okay, tell me how good I am now. Because we want that to be the purpose of our conversation. In like fashion, number five says, do not fish for compliments. Number six Reflect praise back to God, the giver of the gift. God receives the glory and gratitude for making you an instrument of his glory for the benefit of others. He made you. Don't take glory from him as if you had anything to do with it. All praise to God for everything we do. Number seven, take an active part in the praise of others. Number eight, do not entertain any of the devil's whispers of pride. They're going to come. You've done a good thing. And what what does he start to whisper? Good job. Well done. Praise yourself. Give yourself some glory. Pat yourself on the back. And we start to think about those things and go, "Eh, maybe I did do good. And we start to entertain those thoughts. We we rest in those thoughts like, oh, I am a good person. (laughs) You are blessed to be in my presence. No, we can't do that. Because what, is it to, what, are, we to, what are we told in 2 Corinthians 10.5? Take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. The moment he starts to whisper those prideful thoughts to you, you take those thoughts captive. You can't necessarily deny them because that's who we are. But you take them captive. You don't dwell on them. You don't entertain them. You don't take it further. Number nine says, be content when you see or hear that others are doing well in their jobs and with their income, even when you're not. That's a tough one. That's a tough one. Why does he get to be a millionaire? I only made this much. When we get in that ho-hum attitude, right? Look how successful they are. Look how they're doing. You know what? That's a moment where you go, praise them. Praise God they have that opportunity. That's hard to do, but when you're not feeling like you should do that, that's when we do it. 
Give God thanks for every weakness, fault, and imperfection you have. 2 Corinthians 12.9 says, Therefore I will boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses. Why? So that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Two more. What is most important to God is that we submit ourselves in all that we have to Him. And number 12, humility begins as a gift from God, but it is increased as a habit we develop. And we mentioned that earlier, exercise your humility. Exercise your humility. Put it to the task. Be purposeful about being humble and seeing the worth and value in others, not just in yourself. So, to finish this up, to conclude, in the words of Obadiah, the pride of your heart has deceived you. In the words of Solomon, when pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with the humble is wisdom. In the words of John the Baptist, he must increase and I must decrease. In the words of the Apostle Paul, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. In the words of James, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. And finally, in the words of our Savior, Jesus Christ, whoever exalts himself will be humbled and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. So we see this concept of humility throughout Scripture and that's the beautiful thing. We see it throughout from Genesis, the first temptation of pride caused Adam and Eve to fall. And sin entered the world. And we see it throughout the scope of human history. But we have to work and practice and strive hard to be humble and in humility serve and sacrifice for who? The least, the last, and the lost. So that we can give glory to Jesus Christ. So why is humility a pillar of Eagle Ridge? Because without it, we lack grace to see others as more significant than ourselves. Why is humility a pillar of Eagle Ridge Lake Elsinore? Because it is what causes us to serve and sacrifice. And to finish out our scripture in Philippians, why is humility a pillar of Eagle Ridge Lake Elsinore? In Philippians 2, 10 and 11, it says, So that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and in every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Why? To the glory of of God the Father. That's it. That's the purpose. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let me pray.